No more clickbait, no more sound bites, and no more videos that are over before you blink. No more being told to click this or to share that because some people think you can't think. Choose a new way of doing things. Choose real people. Choose real stories. Choose the Real Talks podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Real Talks podcast. It's my absolute pleasure to bring you this episode with Jamie Wall, which we recorded in the heart of San Francisco. A former underage player for Cork and Boat Codes, Jamie was a prospect that had high hopes of representing his county for many years to come. But back in 2014, his life changed. An abscess at the spine resulted in the loss of power in both his legs. And during this conversation, Jamie talks openly and honestly about the day his legs first gave way and the ups and downs of the last three years, as he has had to adapt to life in a chair and rise to numerous challenges. Jamie's currently enjoying an extended break in a new city, while also managing a GAA team out here, an opportunity that arose after he coached Mary I to the Fitzgibbon Cup earlier in 2017. Keep an ear out at the end of the show as well because I have an exciting update about the next season of the podcast, which will kick off in the coming weeks. If you are new to the show, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Real Talks. And there you can find episodes with Kevin McMenamin, Brendan Maher, Jamie Clark, Cora Staunton, amongst others. But without further ado, here is episode 10 of the Real Talks podcast, which is brought to you thanks to the support of Kelly Bradshaw Dalton. Check out their website at kbd.ie for all your property needs. First and foremost, you're, you're, the, you're the first international guest we've had in the podcast. Everything else has been done at home. So this is the first one where we've been abroad and across overseas. So it's great to sit down and great to catch up with you in the heart of San Francisco here. Where a better place to do it. So I suppose just to start off, what drew you here? Or what, brought, what brought you out to San Francisco? What made you want to come this way? I suppose it was, um, it was just after we won the Fitzgibbon with Mary I that I took over managing this year. And a few of our lads, Dara Donovan, Richie English, Guys that played with us went out there last summer after went out last summer to the club here to Nafina after they got knocked out of the championship with Limerick. And um the boys had been talking about it kind of as as the fits had been going on and seeing how great it was and kind of had thought nothing of it. And then out of the blue, one of the guys involved at the club here got on to the two boys and asked them, you know, this was obviously without any of my knowledge, got on to them and said What's Jamie Wall at for the summer and would he be interested in coming out and getting involved from as a manager of the hurling team? So Dara asked me what did I think and I kinda ordinarily things like this I kinda I just kicked him to touch and just say no. And for some reason I just kinda said, Do you know what? Tell him tell him he can ring me. Just tell him to ring me. I won't say yes or I won't say no, but tell him ring me and I kinda try and suss him out and see what see kinda see what I think about it and looked it up for about a week and when your man rang me it was Dingo was the name of the man who rang me Liam Fleming um, so when Dingo rang me I kind of said I chatted to him for a while and just got a good kind of feeling and said you know what I may as well do it I never did it as a player for one reason or another kind of well, one or two I had plans to do to do one summer and for one reason or another those kind of things fell apart and it wasn't really something I didn't re- it wasn't really something I regretted not doing as a player because the summer I didn't do it ended up being my last full summer actually playing. So mm-hmm. when, when you know when I look back, I said I was delighted to actually get to play that summer at home. Yeah. But it is something that maybe qualifying as a teacher going on the years to come, I always kind of thought that'll always be there. And then obviously 
you know, different things happened and it never really had dawned on me that, oh, well, that's gone because I never thought about it. But then when a second opportunity to do it in a slightly different way came up, I kind of said, do you know what, look, if you don't do it now, like, you know, forget about it. Like you've, you're after being given a second opportunity to do it, you know, based on the bit of success you've had, you'd be crazy not to do it. And you'd be crazy not to, to experience it and to try it out and, you know, to see if you'd enjoy it. Because it was something that maybe you'd have thought, well, that's something you'll definitely never do now. So, you know, um, it's that's kind of the journey that led me out here to San Francisco. You mentioned a couple of things there around if it was a door open um, and also that, you know, getting an opportunity to come out too. It's obviously something that you didn't envisage, but like to get that opportunity and to be out here now, even to say where you were two years ago, when obviously one door was, was slammed shut on you. What's it been like to to navigate that space and, and step through and step through other doors? Um, it's different, mm. I think. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's not an easy thing to try and put your finger on. You know, like I think personally for me, you'd be very aware of all the other we'll say people who end up in similar positions to you and that and you kind of always have your opinions on you just be looking at how people are handling it and what their methods are and what their attitudes are and mm-hmm. some people impress you more than others some people you know kind of you raise an eyebrow at and I suppose for me it's always been a case of you know very early on when it came to all this side of things and dealing with the media and anything like that I spoke I remember speaking to Conor Cusack I remember just asking Connor, I was kind of saying, I said, look, Connor, these guys want to chat to me about this. I'm not sure how comfortable I am kind of talking, honest talking. I'm not sure how comfortable I am kind of bearing my soul for this. But by the same token, I know I'm not comfortable talking and being a liar, like, or talking Mm -hmm. and hiding things or talking and saying, talking and saying, everything's hunky-dory when it's not like sure. and I like I I never I never wanted to be like for me you know the whole obviously the chair and that like it it bothers me look it probably bothers some people maybe my attitude to it and my kind of like you know that that I don't enjoy this and obviously and I think this is one of you know the worst things that I could have ever envisaged happening to mm-hmm. me and obviously there's other people in that in the same position say that's the total wrong attitude, there's nothing you can't do, there's blah 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 and all this. But for me, like I'm kinda like, well well personally I think that's rubbish because there's tons of things I can't do. Like I can't go out and play hurling with my friends, you know, on Tuesday, Thursday night at home, my best friends are going training, whether that's intercounty or whether it's with the club. You know, they're two separate cliques of friends, but they were my cliques of friends, you know, those are my people. Um, that's not saying like that I, I, I'm closed-minded or I close doors off on people who aren't like me, mm-hmm. but it's like people are drawn to people who they're like. Footballers are drawn to other footballers. Hurlers are drawn to other mm-hmm. hurlers. Do you know, GA people enjoy the company of other GA people. Um, you know, like this, I like talking football. You know, I like talking hurling. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people will say, you know, people in this kind of circuit, you know, there's this kind of line that's trotted out like, oh, I don't want to talk football, you know. I love talking football, you know, I don't care. I love talking football hurling. You know, that's I'd rather talk football hurling than anything else with people. So, like, you know, a lot of my common interests and a lot of my doors were, like you said, doors were slammed shut. Like, and, you know, these those mightn't be, like, doors, like, that you're going to play in Croke Park or you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Those are doors like that. On a Tuesday night at home for two years, yeah, when I was in Kilbritton, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock was the loneliest time in my life. And it was every Tuesday night from the month of... 
February, whenever the lads went back to, we haven't had the most prolific runs, so it was normally July or August. But, you know, like for six, seven months of the year there, you're, you're looking at your best friends doing something and you can't do it. Like, And the bottom line is you can't do that. So no matter how, so like for me, it was a case of the management is a different thing completely like but it isn't I don't like and I wouldn't ever want it to be confused with that I'm managing because no because I can't play obviously I am mm. I'm managing because I can't play but I'm not substituting playing with managing playing is a separate thing that you know that is is there and that now that I can't do so like you know I suppose it's just that whole that something is different and it's not that it's better it's not that it's worse but it is different and that the whole kind of attitude of, you know, like I've seen some attitudes being like, you know, oh, that's grand. You just shut that box, open a new one and everything's grand. You move it on. And I just think, you know, if you don't <sighs> acknowledge the fact that Christ, like I'd rather things were better than this, like, and mm-hmm. I'd rather be, I'd rather be doing that, like, then you're not being authentic, you know. Um, and kind of that was the one point that was made to me that Connor made to me that time when I asked him for his advice he said whatever you do just be authentic he said just be authentic because he said people will respond to you being authentic people will turn away from you not being authentic and I kind of just said look that's a good attitude I'll just you know I will just be me I'll say what's me I'll say what that is for me I'll say if that's something that someone else in this situation might think but that's not a helpful attitude, then sorry, like, but it's helpful to me mm. because not being authentic would be very unhelpful to me. And sure. unfortunately, there's times I have to kind of say, even if I'm going to upset someone with being that bit kind of, you know, cynical about that, then I just have to bite the bullet and just do that because that's my kind of that's my views on things and I think I'd feel a lot more down if I was being if I could was kind of looking at myself saying like you're letting on to people that things are this way and they're not you're being a fraud like stop yeah. being a fraud and so like that's kind of something that that I'd always kind of would thought like you know is that kind of just being able to to kind of say look no matter what else I'm not going to be a fraud I'm just going to be you know I'm going to be pissed off with things if I'm pissed off with things I'm going to be I'm going to allow myself to be happy with certain things you know um, so yeah so that's kind of that's where I'm at with, with that you know yeah like it's it actually it leads me on to because when I, when I was I sat down yesterday actually I was sitting sitting in a fucking Starbucks there that has been as cliched as you can be with a, with a hand <laughs> yeah but I actually ended up watching uh, it was an interview did with Marty Morrissey two years ago yeah um, yeah so obviously you've you've gone through a like it's a life changing event. There's no point saying anything otherwise, and you've been really open, and honest there about the frustrations that come with that at times. While also on the other hand, trying to be upbeat at, at times too. Yeah. But the interview I watched with Marty, I think it was before there was going to be a, a challenge game that was that was raising funds for yourself and, and for the fund. Yeah. Um, but the answer which you gave him really struck me, and he he sort of asked you around what your hopes were or sort of what what the future was and it really struck me how long you paused yeah to answer the question I don't know if you're remembering or not I do I remember it very well it was a really really long pause and the first words that came out your mouth was that you know Jamie Wall will survive and that hit me it hit me hard and I suppose 
you've, you've touched upon it there. I've absolutely no doubt of some struggles, some bad days. But as we're sitting here, obviously, I suppose what I was struck by was that was two years ago now, um, and you were still, you were still very much in it, yeah, um, and trying to process a huge amount that I can only imagine. Mm. Um, but do you think, like the metaphor that came to my head back to, at that, and you can, you can tell me if this is wrong or if it's inaccurate, but it was like you were in the middle of a tunnel, and there was a shitload of darkness behind you, but you were you could also see bits of light ahead. Do you feel you've moved? closer towards that light than you are then. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. It makes plenty of sense. Um, I think there's one thing I have to clear up to now that I have actually an opportunity with that. I got some slagging over Jamie Wall will survive right. over referring to myself in the third person. <laughs> Marty asked, what is next for Jamie Wall? Yeah. So he asked the third person. So I just want that on record that, <laughs> that I didn't initiate the third person. Because I got nothing but abuse from my friends over that. <laughs> um, but yeah, to actually answer your question, now that I've done my score settling, um, the tunnel, is, it's a perfect metaphor because it's like you have a shit ton of darkness behind you. You can see cracks of light up there and you're moving towards it. But if you're in a tunnel, you also can see the shit ton of darkness that's in front of you. Mm. Um, and it's probably something that, to be honest, I don't think it's a tunnel that I'll be coming out of. I don't think it's a tunnel I'll ever fully get out of, if you understand. Sure. But I think it's a tunnel that you'll get, you know, you'll get closer to the end of. And personally, maybe, look, maybe I will. And maybe someday I'll be totally at peace and, you know, that'll be a great day. Um, maybe someday I'll get better and I'll come straight out the other end of the tunnel too. Um, but in all likelihood, you know, if you were a betting man, the odds would, would say at some point you're probably going to you're probably not going to leave that tunnel, but it's just a case of how far along it you can get. Um, how much of the shit, the darkness, and the shit ton of darkness you can put behind you, and how much of it you can just, you can be in, and how much you can live alongside, we'll say, you know? So, yeah, the metaphor of the tunnel is a pretty decent one, I'd say. It's one I hadn't thought of before, but the minute you said it, that was the, that was the thought that came to my head, yeah? I suppose, like... An because I don't know what it was, it was whatever the words, it wasn't you referring to yourself in the third person that hit me, um, which you can do that if you want and go all on burgundy on it. But it was actually, it was just the word survive because it was something in my own life that, you know, I, and I still talk about it quite a bit, is, is trying to get from that place of just surviving to, to thriving and thriving for everybody's different things and yeah, you yeah. want different things. But like, don't, like, there was, there was like, not so long ago at the time you were thriving, you were a really successful dual player. Uh, player for Cork you've touched upon it there minor under 21s colleges and I suppose we, and we've referenced there that, that pile of shit behind you and there's, yeah. there's no point size skirting it or, or, or dressing around it because I think it would just be a complete injustice to, to, to what it's been but for, for people that are listening that maybe aren't overly familiar with with the story like can you talk me through talk me through the first time you're, the legs buckle and, yeah. and, and you hit oh, the floor Jesus, yeah yeah. Um, is that too abrasive a question? No. Just after saying, let's be authentic. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was Saturday, the twenty eighth of June, two thousand and fourteen. Um, I was inside my room. Um, well, it wasn't my room at the time. It was the downstairs bedroom. Um, I'd spent kind of the, I'd spent the week dealing with pretty severe back pain and stuff and when I um, 
when I kind of we were playing championship actually on the Saturday I was captain of the club that, that night against Valley Rovers and um, had played with the Cork Intermediates on the Wednesday night we'd won that we'd won the Munster final against Tip but I was kind of I was in pain even in the warm up with it and stuff um, so like obviously I had no idea what was going on I just thought um, I'd had a few back spasms kind of the month before mm. and stuff so I kind of just thought it was it was that again you know and was that the extent um, of symptoms or that signs? was kind of the extent of it yeah it was just kind of getting more severe and more severe like there was no there was no neurological signs or anything like that um, went to see the GP whatever on Friday um, and again like you know he, he asked the questions you know and none of them symptoms were showing up on Friday mm. Um just really, really, really severe back pain and stuff. And then on on the Saturday morning, I kind of, I had obviously got painkillers for the, the pain I was in. And on the Saturday morning, I um, I had, oh, look, I didn't go upstairs to my room, obviously, because the thought of hitting the stairs mm. was just absolute anathema to me. Like, I was just like, no way. And um, so I was kind of downstairs. It's real chronic pain. It's, it's, this is chronic pain. This is chronic stage, yeah. pain, yeah. Like every step kind of shooting pain, like, I kind of woke up in the morning having slept a bit, you know, through the painkillers and through the pain and kind of in and out of sleep and stuff. And I'd woke up having slept a small bit and I actually felt kind of good. Went out, got up, walked out to the kitchen, had my breakfast. That was fine. And came back and then it started at me as I was eating my breakfast. So I I was like, shit, this is back now. And I was kind of still half thinking like, Jesus, would I, won't I make that match tonight at seven o'clock? Like, you know, I'm captain of the club. I have to, yeah. have to try like, you know. And the ignorance of sportsmen as well. The pure just, yeah. ignorance like of it, yeah. And when I think back, like, go play the match like. Yeah. But um, I went to lie down on the floor. So we had a wooden floor in the room. It was the guest room at the time. It's my room now. Mm. It's just the downstairs bedroom. But... um just put my legs up kind of at a right at a right angle lying on the bed just because I that get my back into a neutral position like and that was that was fine I kind of I dozed off again with the painkillers and kind of just around can't exactly put a time in it because the whole thing's a haze but kind of around midday right give or take and I woke up and when I woke up from that kind of half doze I don't know how long it was it probably wasn't long I tried to get up from there and Jesus, I was getting, like, my legs were really weak. So I was panicking, like, they were really, really weak, like. And I kind of dragged myself up into the bed. And I was kind of there rubbing them and trying to get a bit of life into them. I was kind of thinking, oh, you look, you've just had your legs elevated now for too long. The blood's gone out of them. Like, madness, like, stupidity, like, really. Um, just not knowing what was I'm actually, sure, not, not knowing what yeah. the story was. And um, I just, I remember thinking, I said, I need to get a bit of weight through them. I need to get a bit of weight through them, you right. know, just to get them back going. So I tried to get out. Like, obviously, you know, I'd called my parents at this at this stage and, you know, I told them what was happening and whatever. And I um, tried to get up. I remember, like, because I remember the spot in my room. I see it every morning mm. when I get up and tried to stand. And I held for about half a second and then my knees just buckled. God. And just hit the ground. And that's right. when it hit panic stations. It was complete just... What the fuck is happening? Like, um, So I just went from... Like, obviously, you know, there was roaring and bawling and crying and looking for um, help, whatever. And so we'd rang the ambulance around then. Right. And kind of the rest is a blur. Like, I, I know that by the time the ambulance arrived, it was roughly five or six o'clock and 
you know, we were playing the match. We were actually playing the match in the club next door to us. And we went past the pitch on the way to the match. And one of the lads said he was passed out by an ambulance on the way to the mm. match. He had no idea. One of okay. my best friends that I play with, like, and, um, like, obviously, like, there was no thought of getting a message to the lads what was going on, but ambulance drove past one of the lads on their way to the pitch in Balance Middle, like, and they arrived out and there was no captain for the game, whatever, wondering where I was, what had gone on. They just kind of had to figure there was something. Mm. Um, they didn't find out till about 12 o'clock that night, like. Um, but yeah, it was just, that was the whole kind of, that was the day, you know, into that, then it was the hospital kind of scenario and rigmarole, which I kind of, is all a bit of a blur, really, like, of course. that was the real, that was the real impact there, like, was, was at home when that happened, and then, obviously, the paramedics arrive, and, um, but even as, as, as they're arriving, and, you know, you obviously, you, you've had that moment where you hit the floor, and you're thinking, what the fuck has happened yeah. there, like, you still, like, I'm just, I'm trying to make sure that I'm clear on it, too, you still have no idea what's going on, have you, so, not a it clue. must be, not a clue, like, I haven't a bull's nose what's it, going on, what's, is it fear when that's happening? Panics? It's, You've got to be fear. It's, it's got to be scary. It's absolute fear. It's the rawest form of fear I've ever encountered. I can ever, than I can ever imagine, to mm. be quite honest. Um, it's, it's just absolute fear. Like I, I, and I know it's, um, you know, the ambulance up then from Cork to Dublin. Okay. Um, I have this kind of nebulizer thing. I'm not sure exactly what it is now. Some there's probably, there could be a paramedic listening who knows exactly what it is. But all I know, I think it was oxygen. All I know is the pain in my back was gone to beyond breaking point at this stage. What I was later to find out was that it was that was the abscess squeezing my spine, the nerves. Like so, it was just literally grinding them. It was them. the worst pain I've ever can I can ever imagine mm. that I can ever imagine anyone going through. Um, and all I remember is this mask was my saving grace like this mask was the only thing that was keeping me from the pain so I had that in the ambulance up to to Cork and every time the pain would start I could kind of get a I'd get a like a, a half a second warning and it'd be fumbling for the mask again that'd be my only relief like was get that mask get the mask the fear and I remember that the first ambulance that brought me to Cork I was sitting on a trolley, whatever, the usual carry-on in A&E's. And um, that ambulance had to go off to another call. And the two boys who brought me up came over to me and said, look, Jamie, we're sorry, we're going to have to take this. And I remember just breaking down completely, pleading like a baby, just saying, you cannot, you can't, like crying, crying, sure. crying my eyes out to them, saying, you cannot take this off me, lads, you cannot take it. They were like, it goes with the ambulance, we yeah. have to take it, we're sorry. Someone will get you something. And I just remember that was probably, that was one of the most scared, what possibly the most scared I've ever been in my life because cause I still hadn't really processed that, that that was possibly a long-term thing because I was saying, sure, that doesn't happen to somebody who's back pain. I haven't mm. had a fall, nothing like that has happened to me. This is obviously a temporary symptom of what's going on. But what I was was brutally afraid of the absolute pain from the actual from what was actually happening like so when I was told oh we have to take this as part of a set right I remember kind of saying lads you can't you're do this you piss. can't do this to me like yeah. you know I wish I wish I had the wherewithal to say are you taking the piss lads I was just like lads please so like, you're just I was, consumed by pain I just, I just said not, please lads I was just theory. begging with them I was just pleading like you know um, so yeah like that that was kind of that that, that whole you know that, that raw fear 
So at what point then do you, do you find out what, what's happened? Um, I think it was the next morning. I don't, like, I don't really, like, I remember that night, like, when we arrived up to Beaumont. It was pretty late. Um, it was pretty early in the morning, pretty late in the evening, whichever mm. way you want to look at it. And I remember the doctor, Kieran Sweeney, the surgeon um, from Donegal, he kind of greeted me at the door. And I remember, actually, I was delirious at this stage now on painkillers. And I remember the first thing I said to him was, oh, where are you from? Do you know what? He was like, I'm from Donegal. I was like, oh, geez, I went to college with a fella from Donegal. Where are you from in Donegal? And your man says, the capital. And I was like, what do you mean, the capital of Donegal? Like, but um, so it turned out he was from Letterkenny, but... He basically was saying how time was of the essence and he was like, we're walking and talking. I was being wheeled yeah. in the trolley like and he was like, look, this is what we think is wrong with you. We have to whip you into an MRI just to get the location. But we're pretty 99% sure this is what's wrong. And we're going to have you on the operating table in half an hour. So that was the crack. I was on the operating table. I can't remember how long the operation was. I think it was an hour or two or whatever. And I woke up whatever, woke up inside in the intensive care the next morning or whatever time, you know, when you come she down off. To, where you are. To having to, yeah, exactly. Having the bloody clue where I was. Um, I wasn't the only one either. There. Um, but uh, kind of waking up there and just being like, where am I like? Do you know, what is what is after happening? Mm. It takes, takes kind of a few minutes before kind of all comes flooding back then, do you know? Um so you obviously, so you, you you discover what's going on. Obviously, and the com- them conversations start happening. How how difficult is that to even process when it's come when when that information starts coming back into you? It's complete stubbornness at the start. I just, is it? I just was kind of like, no, that's not that's, that's not, not the story. The story, like, um, because like I mean, look, the last thing I said to my mother before I was wheeled into the operating room, and it's a hell of a thing to say to your mum before going into an operating room, to be honest. I felt fairly bad about it when she told me after. Again, I had no recollection yeah, of it now. Isaac, but she say. said to me, I said, um, that I told her that if, I said, if I'm going to be like this man, I want you to go a million dollar baby on me right. and get the pillow. And she mam told me a few days later, and I kind of said, Jesus Christ, you're some bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> but like, when things were dawning on me, I was kind of like, Jesus if this doesn't come back, like, I'm going to have to have a serious think about what I want to do, like. Um, and, like, that first week aside was just, for the first three months especially, like, the first ten weeks in Beaumont, I was very much, I fluctuated between being very stubborn and pig-headed and, you know, I'm going to do everything by the book as mm. much as you possibly can. The physios were incredibly good to me, two rehab sessions a day when I asked, you know, when I was given it every day. I went through pure pig-headedness like that but I also went through just pure like Jesus if I was capable of dragging myself to that window like I'd yeah, gone out of it can't be dealing with I'd be gone out of this I cannot handle it and it was yeah. like it was and I don't say it lightly by any means like I was For just sure. I was just like yeah this is this is it like I told told one of the nurses I said listen Mara if I said I'm going to do everything I can but if I'm still like this in two three years no way. I said, you won't be reading about me in 40 years' time being around like like this. Like this, That's yeah. not that's not a bloody option. Like, um, And it's funny because, like, I'd have always said it. Like, I'd have always said, I'd have always said, Jesus, that'd be the one thing now. Funny, like, not funny, but 
I said, geez, that'd be the one thing I'd never be able to handle. I'd never be able to handle that. Geez, I'd never handle that. I'd never handle that. And then six months comes and you can be miserable, but you're still handling it. You're mm. still, still kind of surviving, like you said, sure. you know. And then a year comes and, again, you've got your moments where you're completely fucking miserable, but you're still kind of mm. handling it, like, and you're still going again, you know. Um, and that's kind of... That's kind of what it's what it's constantly kind of been then, you know. So like, from that initial attitude of, fair enough, the initial attitude was more extremes of high and low. It's leveled off to an extent, okay. But you are still going in both directions, of course, constantly. And I don't think, I don't think in the three and a half years since that I've ever been completely even close to what on the level was. Mm-hmm. It's very much kind of very good, very bad. Or, you know, like there's, like, to be honest, even it's kind of very bad, good. Mm. Like, you know, it's been hard to get up to that. Of course. It's been very hard and very rare and very fleeting to get up to that very good ever, like really since. And I suppose that's something that maybe, something I obviously have a lot of work to still do, like on, on is kind of, is that side of it. Like, but it's, it's very much a case of, you know, everything kind of has this caveat almost, like, or has this asterisk beside it. Even the good things have an asterisk beside it, you know. Um, you're going to Bruce Springsteen concerts, but it's not like the first one you went to. You're going to the Stone Roses in Marley Park, and it's it's magic, like, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're looking around saying, Jesus, I'd have some crack, you know. Um but then, like, you have to countenance and say, Stone Roses gig was the 9th of July. You've had some crack at home looking at Snapchat if you were still playing. So, yeah. you know, like, like I've done tons of things yeah. since that I know in my heart and soul I never would have done. I've been, I've been to an FA Cup final um, last year, the Man United one. I was at the semi-final. Right. I've been to Old Trafford more times than I certainly would have gone. Um, I've been to the Euros. I've done all these things that I know... And I'm not saying, you know, oh, if I was a GA player and had to live the life by the GA and couldn't do it. I'm saying that I wouldn't have done it. I'd have been like, no, I'm staying at home. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But I know that I know I would never have done these things if it wasn't for being put in the kind of, you know, being dealt the hand that was dealt. But by the same token, I'm always going to do these things and think how much better they could have been, even though it's probably ridiculous considering I might never have done them anyway you know it's completely natural to have but it's you're just like you know like I remember one of the psychologists in the hospital said you know I think early on in in the rehab hospital I early on I was kind of trying to kind of talk to myself and say you know there's guys here with higher levels of injury than you and you know their hands are impaired and geez you have it so much better compared to them because you have your full upper body and you can really get by and you can do that and it wasn't really working for me like and I said to her I said look I said I know that you're probably looking at me thinking you're young you're fit you're in pretty good shape kind of weight wise coming into this so you're in a good position like you know all these things you have all these advantages and you're sulking and she just said to me no she said because your only reference point is you you. what you were Mm. what you wanted to be like realistically you're never capable of comparing yourself to those people and it's something that I always kind of took after because and it's something I've said to tons of people since you know 
kind of you get used to, some people would come up to you and you'd be chatting to people and if the conversation goes a bit deep there might be a few drinks involved somebody might say to you you know oh you know I used to complain about this or that about my job or about my whatever and you know like when I see then what you have to go through that I think I should never and I kind of say well no like because your shit still is your shit yeah, like it's your, shit. your shit is your shit like mine is mine I'm, I'm not going to judge you for getting upset about hating your job mm-hmm. hating your job is a miserable thing to have to live through just because my own misery is my you know is looks from the outside like it's a bigger deal like it, that's my shit to deal with like you know yours is yours like and, and own it like and, and kind of say do you know what I am pissed off at my job and I am pissed off at you know I have personal issues going on like and just because they're not outwardly obviously as big a deal to we'll say the wider world like they're the bigger they're a much bigger deal to you than mine are to you you know so so like like that was something that was probably one of the best pieces of advice I got ever like was just to kind of I know I always kind of looked at it as embrace your own misery like (laughs) maybe that was just me being miserable like but but I was kind of like if you can just kind of embrace your own you know say well look do you know what I have every right to be fucking miserable like and it doesn't matter that the poor creator beside me can't feed himself Mm. you know and and that's awful and it's not something you'd wish on anyone but realistically like how long am I going to last thinking oh I've it so much better than him when my friends come visit me you know, or when, you know, I see a photograph from playing before I see a video. So, like, realistically, it's kind of like, that'll make you feel good. Yeah, that'll make you feel better about yourself for about 10 seconds. And then... It's a short hit. It's a short hit. And then you go back to realising, do you know what? All that really mattered is the way things were and the way I wanted them to be, the way I saw them being, you know? Sure. That, for me, like, that's an incredible lesson. And I suppose, I know I learned the same thing in a different way. Just going through the mental health, depression stuff. You always get, you know, like, oh, well, like my stuff's not as bad as that person, what am I feeling that for? And then, and then my stuff's worse than that person. And again, you and you touched upon it and hit the nail on the head, is that, you know, your shit is just your shit and it's completely relative to you. It's not a comparison scale. There's no overarching one to 10 scale and you slot yourself in the grand scheme of the world. It's, yeah, yeah. it's your world. And I suppose one of the big challenges you had to go through was was that huge void that was that was created. And initially... That's obviously, whether you, whether you wanted it or not, it was filled with, with, with those rehab sessions that you touched upon. How big of a, how big of a grind was, was that? So it was a six-month six spell in hospital initially, right? Um, it was, sorry, it was June to the first weekend of September. It was the hurling final weekend because right. I remember going to it on, I, I went into the rehab on the Friday of the hurling final. I had tickets for the hurling final, went to the hurling final on the Sunday and I remember being outside of O'Brien's on Leeson Street with um, with my cousin Podge, with Joe Canning, a few of the lads that they're friends with, like, and there was, lads were having a few drinks, whatever, sure. like, and, um, and Sean, Sean Collins, my cousin, David was there, my best friend from home, Connor was there, so it was, and Lachlan Casey, lad from Donegal, was in college, so we had a right crew, you know, and it was a great session, I was having four or five pints, and do you know what, it was probably the first time since it had happened that I was, properly actually just happy and Zone, ignoring zoned out a bit and like, zoned out a bit exactly yeah. and had actually managed to turn off okay you know Jerry Collins just in the moment Jerry Collins the lad's uncle had a big impact on helping turn me off now in fairness <laughs> but um, yeah just enjoying it and I remember half nine came and something clicked in my head just saying like you're on in the morning you have to go and I remember being like fuck I really don't want to go and 
somehow dragged myself back to the hospital. And I remember just being rotten low that night. But I got up the next morning and kind of started into the rehab in the NRH. And, and again, that was kind of, I was getting down there. I was getting down to the gym down there for one session. I was getting down to the physio for another session. I was getting to the hydro pool for another session. So I was, I was kind of filling my day and with, with what I wanted to fill it with, which, which was rehab work, you know, for probably about four months when you count that there was a, there was like a Christmas break. And I remember just that was kind of, that was, like you said, just filling that hole kind of, that real, you know, that, that kind of void, we'll say, of, of training and work and kind of just saying like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now and do everything my power. That's, is it, is it the sportsman and you driving that or all the time is in, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this shit or are you being dragged? Is it a bit of both? What's the sort of psyche like around that spell? Um... I completely went for the sportsman aspect yeah. of it anyway. I think that was which makes that was my sense. that was kind of look. I was like, look, uh, we had a we had a we had a maths teacher before, and he um, no, he didn't he didn't like it too much when I told him that that football commitments were dictated. I was dropping down to ordinary for the leaving right. sort like. But he said to us, he said, look, guys, when you're faced with a problem in maths, generally, when you're faced with a problem in maths do what you know first mm. and then you'll figure it out and do what you know. And I always thought, that's great advice, do what you know. So I said, right, I'm faced with a problem that I have no idea how to solve. I'm going to do what I know. Do what I know. And what I know was what I know and that was getting up in the morning going training, you know, because that was always my way of dealing with, of dealing with anything, you oh. know, and I've said this a few times, you've probably heard me say it once or twice, like, I said like, when I had any issues, like, and I, like, I had, I didn't have things, like I said, didn't have things any worse or any better than anyone growing up. I had my own things to be dealing with. Like, you know, you'd have your woman troubles, you'd have your college yeah, troubles, failed exams, failed exam, exam first on. year, all that kind of yeah. shit. You'd all that, like, and the answer was always, like, you know, we had a pitch in Kilbritton that's up on top of a hill in the middle of nowhere, and, like, it's our second pitch. Like, nobody ever goes there. There's no reason to ever go there. You don't go there. You when someone says training or matches on there, you curse the person who put it on there. <laughs> but that was my place that I went and it was kind of like, that's my place and I was my place for years. Like it was my place since I could cycle a bike. Like it's like, I'll go up there to bag of balls and I'll hit free. Just that quiet space I'll for I'll go up like... there because I know none of the lads will come up here. The lads will go up to the other pitch for a puck around and I'll do that at seven o'clock with the boys. But I'll go up there if I'm having a shitty day, if I'm whatever, I'll, I'll run up there with the hurley and a bag of balls Take free, take freeze for an hour, run home, cycle up, whatever, drive up when kind of got to the age where I could drive, you know. And it was kind of like that's kind of my, we'll say that was like my meditation. We'll say yeah. that was my mindfulness. Was this is what I'm gonna do? Like I'm gonna go do this. So like all of a sudden I'm hit with this problem, and the problem is that I can't do this. So like not only is this a huge problem, but part of this problem is that I can't, that I also can't deal with my problem because my way of dealing with it is part of my part of my general problem you know um so i suppose it was like it was like look you're gonna have to find some way close to this so that was you know just dragging myself not even dragging myself getting down like look going to the rehab sessions going to the gym they were the best parts of my day like when I was in Beaumont even, you know, the physios in Beaumont and I can't speak highly enough of them, they gave me two sessions a day because 
I was just like, I was so wired inside her. I was like, lads, I have to be doing something. Like, I'm ready to kill someone above in this room. Um, and I, like, I remember, like, in Bowman, see, in the NRH, at least, you got to leave at the weekend, kind of, when you got a bit proficient. But when I was in Bowman, I was stuck there every weekend. Like... I was living for Monday, like, and that had never, ever happened to me before. I was living from Monday to Friday, and Friday evening I used to hit this awful low that I was like, I'm faced with two days of fuck all now. Yeah. And it was just, like, Friday evenings I was used to be so low inside in Bowman because, you know, the rehab isn't done. The physios aren't on Saturday, Sunday. They're just on for, you know, respiratory care and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it was like... Friday evening I was kind of like oh Christ what am I going to do now like um, so yeah like that was kind of my the sportsman attitude was yeah look just go training go training go training go training go training do you know things get yeah. better if you go training we referenced identity earlier on and look like any like any young GA player when you're 18, 19, 20 you're playing for county your, your identity just gets wrapped up in this stuff because you know you get, you get looked after you get free stuff you get attention from people you get all the, all the stuff but obviously you've got a, in a way you've got to forge out a new identity. And what's that been like? And you know, obviously management has now played a huge part in that and it's given some purpose and clarity there. But what's that been like to try and explore different avenues of life and maybe getting you out of that bubble or whatever it was that you were doing? Frustrating. Yeah. Because I like the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Um, even last Sunday night after our first match, we had a few drinks down the Abbey Tavern and um, there was two buckos arrived in from Cork. Um, in Cork jerseys to old boys mm-hmm. and they'd been up since 8 o'clock in the morning for the game, for the game. Yeah. and they hadn't watched it at home and they had all the signs of it <laughs> but um, <laughs> one of them said to me are you from Cork? <laughs> I said I am from Cork and I just, uh, he kind of just shook my hand and looked at me and that was it and then kind of later on I was kind of like again look I was after one or two drinks so I was feeling a bit stoic or whatever but I was like, I'm 25 now. Chances are, like, maybe I'd have never made it. You know, maybe, because you'll never know. Yeah. But I was like, fuck it, like. That fella shouldn't have been asking me who I am, like. He should know. He should be talking to one of the boys about how I got on today. And that's straight away where your mind goes. Because, so, your mind is almost always wants to go back to that bubble. Like, this is as recently as last, as Sunday. Sure. You know? Um, and it's only Wednesday now, like. Um... So like, like I said, I liked the bubble, you know, I wanted to go back to the bubble. Um, so that's been really frustrating and really hard, you know, but um, yeah, like it's in a sense, sometimes, sometimes it's, sometimes it's enjoyable then, you know, um, because, you know, you're there, like even out here, you know, you're tr- like with Mary I, you're training, you're training inter-county hurlers as a manager. So like, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm jumping from one unhealthy bubble to another one you know and obviously look there's so much you could more be in now, far like, worse I've bubbles got, I've, I've got far exactly look you could be in a lot worse bubbles than the GA you know but you know obviously and look there, there's other aspects to my life that I have actually probably done a bit more work on since um, in terms of you know getting out seeing a small bit of the world anyway which is something that I never would have never would have been overly into per se but never totally dismissed either you know and What's seeing a small like? bit um Again, something that I never really, you know, I would have looked before and kind of thought, you know, like, geez, I haven't much interest in going there. I haven't much interest in that. Like, so I was never one like that was 
bitten with the travel bug. Like when I was younger, we used to go for two week holidays and I was ready to go home after, after 10, days. 10 days. 10 days, that was yeah. enough for me. I was like, I want to go home, I want to go training. You know, I'm sick of this now. Um, so maybe, you know, in that sense, like I'm going to be a, that bit more healthy in terms of, you know, my experiences with the rest of the world and those things. And again, like I said, things that I'll always put an asterisk beside, but that I probably never would have done mm. without, you know, being put in the situation. But like, I suppose like trying to force that kind of new identity, you know, on a number of kind of, in a number of ways and places, like and one of those places is as, as a manager, you know, and I suppose it's been really, it's been kind of almost like, you know, that phrase of breath of fresh air and that like, mm. with Mary I there, you know, you're dealing with a really top caliber, caliber of player, like, so straight away, like you're kind of saying, right, standards up here, like, and, and I'm kind of almost been catapulted into the deep end here like, with this standard and you're constantly, you know, you're challenging yourself to say, how can I challenge this guy? You know, how can I challenge Ronan Maher, who's mm. centre-back and all-star? How can I challenge a guy who's number 24 in the panel, who's in a to- coming from maybe an intermediate club? Sure. How can I challenge them to get, to bridge the gap a small bit, but to also then make the gap wider on the far ends? Like, how can I make this guy bridge the gap and how can I make... Ronan make the gap even wider you know um, at the same time just get them going in the same direction and like I suppose it's the same out here you know like out here with guys coming over and sanctions you're nearly dealing with guys who are all at the very least senior club standards you're actually dealing with very very decent players out here so you know that side of it like and you know kind of people knew you as, as a decent player people knew you as you know I suppose you know when lads are chatting they're saying, oh, this fella's good, or oh, this fella's useless, this fella can't mark, this yeah, fella can't... Yeah, just the general chit-chat. Just, yeah, general chit-chat, like, and you're being, you're a part, you're relevant, we'll say, you're relevant. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you're moving towards kind of making yourself relevant in the circles that you want to be relevant in. Because look, any, like you said, any top sportsman, I don't care what you say, like, it's nice to be relevant, like yeah, it's nice it's. to be to matter. It's yeah. nice to say, you know, that's why that's why there's individual awards. That's why there's all these things, you know. That's why, you know, it's nice to play well on when you're on the telly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice for people to say nice things about you, and that's any walk of life. That's not just sport, you know. And people who people who pretend that that stuff, people who let on like that, oh, that stuff doesn't bother me. Blah blah blah. They're either the most secure people in the world or they're liars. Yeah. Um. You know, and look, fair play to them if they're the first. But like, you know, so it is, you're kind of trying to, you're trying to make yourself, just you're trying to make yourself matter in your circle again, in a different way. You know, you're trying to say, like, it's not like that you want people to say, oh, you're the best manager ever. It's not that you want people to say that you're the worst manager ever. It's just that you want people to say, you know, oh, that guy's a good manager. He managed this team. He managed that team. You know, he also managed that team. That didn't go too well for him, blah, blah, blah. But like all of a sudden, you're just a fixture in the calendar that you want to be a fixture in, that you always were, and that, you know, all your friends are, that all your, you know, all your cliques are. And whether that's at the club circuit level, whether it's at county, whether it's at college, whatever it is, you know, it's just being kind of, you know, you can feel very isolated from it when you're not part of it, you know. Mm. And that was why I know when I, when I did, I did a small bit of writing with the guys with the 42, and I enjoyed it to an extent, in fairness, but I always felt... You're not involved. Yeah, it's distant. You're distant. You mm. know, you're a comment. You're a commentator. Yeah. You're, you're not involved. You aren't affecting things. You know. So for me, it's a case of trying to get. You know, be relevant again in the circles I want to be relevant in, which is 
hurling a football. Mm. I want to be relevant in hurling a football circles because those circles matter to me. It's not an ego thing. It's those things matter to me. So I want to matter to them. Do you know? I think that's, that's the best way of putting it, you know, is these things matter so much to me that I want to matter to these things, you know? One of the things that I was just sort of struck by there and I was thinking, uh, and I'll tell you why in a second, but I suppose, I think in terms of GA, not just GA managers, it's, it's business, it's Fokker, or Trophy, whatever we're going to be, is the, that notion of being able to deal with people, if it's called, we want to call it emotional intelligence, being aware of others, is def, it's becoming more and more important. And I suppose, do you find of, because of the lived experiences that you have, and I said, they just are what they are. Do you think you have a heightened sense of that? Do you think that has made you more aware of people around you and a better sense of emotional intelligence? Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it should. Mm. Stands to reason, doesn't it? Um, no, I completely, like, the reason I ask is I completely imagine it would. Yeah, yeah, no, like, it, it, it should, and, and I hope it has, you know. Um, it does help you in terms of developing that kind of empathy, you know, to, to issues that maybe you wouldn't have had, you know, if you've never had those kind of issues, you mm. know. Um, I suppose it, it's a case of, you know, like like I said earlier, like maybe even more so than than my immediate experience was kind of the few things I've learned from it then, you know, like, like you know, the bit about knowing how, we'll say not so much me dealing with my problem, but me kind of learning about what stuff doesn't work mm-hmm. with dealing with my problem, like the whole looking at someone else and thinking, oh, they're much worse off. You know, like that, you know, your shit is your own motto. That motto in itself, straight away, I think is an example of maybe, that in itself is an example of emotional intelligence that I would never have had because I'd have certainly been the person, if it was one of my friends, to say, Jesus, look, you know, whoever is getting on with it, I need to as well, do you know? And I'd have been, I'd, I'd have been the first person to have that kind of naive view on it so all of a sudden you know having realised how futile that is yeah definitely you're in a a more advanced position you have a more heightened sense of it because because you've had to because you've had to develop it you know it's it's kind of like it's a survival skill almost it's something that you haven't had a choice in developing like you know that um, and you said it there because you had to one of the topics I've discussed with a few of the different guests I know I certainly remember talking about it with Niall Mack, me, and Kevin McMahon with the first episode. It was just around resilience. Um, I suppose, do you, do you feel you have a better mix now of those good days and bad days at the stage you're at now? Um, I probably have a more consistent um, mix of it, yeah. Um, it's what, like I would have said before that, for me, good days and bad days didn't even exist. Mm. That it was, there was, it was moments within the days, like, you know, and I could be having the best day in the world and it just takes one thing to, to sour my day. I could be in a pub on a night out having a great time and all it would take was one interaction and whether it's the direct interaction or indirect, it would just take one and I'd, I'd kinda, I would have this thing that I'd do where I'd kind of lick my lips or kind of bite the bottom of my lip and that would be me realising... I need to get out of here. Yeah, things are sliding down. Things are gone. Things are, it, you know, my head is gone. Things okay. are gone. And to an extent, that does still happen to me. But, and I, like, I can ca- I catch myself doing it and sometimes there's no getting out of that free fall and I just have to get in the car and get home. And, you know, that that's a constant thing. But I think something I have maybe developed is being able to, to ride out that wave every now and then. Um, not all the time, but 
that I have to like before I could never have done it mm. now I've developed kind of sometimes I can say okay this is the case but give it this time you know yeah. give it 20 minutes give it half an hour and then all of a sudden if the right interaction comes along then I can sometimes pull myself back on track you know other times it's a lost cause and other times you just need to get the first taxi or Uber or whatever is around here and get home um, well, what type of what type of interaction or what type would, would, would cause that sort of it can be something as simple as seeing someone moving standing up it just hits you and it just hits you you look at things as simple as um, like it sounds almost cliched when you say it like that but you're looking at things like it's all the intricacies of movement I think that get you stuff that you never thought about it's when somebody goes to the fridge and bends down it's looking at how each of their tendons are moving how different muscle groups are firing off and you're kind of like it's so automatic for them yeah. it's so automatic it's the way I move my arms and don't even think about it when I'm talking I'm doing it without thinking it's these automatic movements and the kind of realising of how automatic they are for someone else and how hard you're trying to manufacture them something like that that's probably the biggest yeah. one that's the biggest one you know um, people dancing on a night out I was never a great dancer but I'd throw a few shapes mm. that'll get you um, something as simple as you know trying to explain to somebody trying to explain to somebody would say when they're running at goal and they're about to swing and someone's going to hook them to take a step in as it's kind of it's a real natural forwards movement but a lot of people can't get it into their heads and trying to explain it to somebody and you can see the movement and you, it's so automatic to you and it's so you're there trying to verbalise something that was just innate like yes um, those are all the kind of indirect interactions direct interactions then could be somebody just coming up and saying something stupid sometimes someone can just come up and say something stupid um, you know um, some people are so blunt it can be frightening at times you know some people can come up and the first thing they can ask you is what happened right. they don't even ask, before they ask you your name they can say what happened to you and you're kind of like you know like sometimes I've taken to making up stories like just okay. to kind of give when I'm in better form I'll make up a story yeah. you know when I'm in good form I'll make up a story if it's somebody that I'm if I'm kind of like if I'm pissed off with it I'm kind of like you know mind your own business but if I'm in good humour I'll make up a story and see how far down the garden path I can lead them what do you think people do you think that's people just if, is, it, is it awkwardness is it not knowing what to say or is it just stupid I don't know like, it depends it depends on the yeah. person I think I can't tire them all with the one brush no. some, some people it's nosiness some people it's genuine awkwardness and they're trying to be genuine and trying to sure. say something and I think look like I do always try you know, people say that or when people come up to you and say it's great to see you out or people say things like that. I think it's important to realise that 99% of people are saying what they're saying from a good place. Yeah, sincerity, yeah. They're saying it from a good place so don't be a prick about it. Like, yeah. You know, um, even if it makes you feel pissed off, like try not try not to be a prick about it. You know, try and deal with it as kind of curtly as you can and move it on, you know. Mm. But I suppose the what happened to you question is probably the one that, that does kind of, you're kind of like, you're like, come on, yeah. that's just nosy. Like, a lot of the time, it's kind of that's just nosy. When people come up and say things like, "Geez, you're great to get around," and things that can seem kind of patronising, there, you know, and 
particularly maybe slightly older people sometimes say mm. those things I would always say say look your own grandmother could say something very you know very nice and well meaning because that's the way she is 99% of all people of, el- of older people are doing that they mean it mm. in a nice way don't be a bollocks about it just you know say thanks roll down the road and roll your eyes and just try and get a laugh out of it you know um, other times though, people can say people can say stupid things to you, you know like people can people can kind of like some people can say incredibly ignorant things to, you, to be quite honest like you know some people maybe out of awkwardness but it comes across as ignorance like if you go into a toilet um, some people can be like you know make some joke about that you're going to race someone like or you know like or oh, kind of stuff like um, how many gears is that do you know stupid so stupid stupid talk that you're yeah. kind of like you're kind of like will you just shut up like mm. I mean you don't say it but you're like you really want to and you're kind of like come on that's you know like so many people say so many things from a good place that you always you know try to have your try to have your kind of diplomatic hat on and but when you get met with kind of stuff like that you're kind of like come on man like that is just ridiculous like there's no like there's no but again look look like you said maybe maybe that in itself is even just awkwardness you know they're faced with something that they've no experience of and they're kind of saying oh do you know um but yeah like i mean like those are the kind of in those are kind of direct interactions that can kind of you can kind of be like... And they're just little small moments, obviously. little small but, moments yeah. in a day, you know, like... And, that, like, I'm saying this like it could happen every day. This might this might happen once a month. I get you, no, You know, get this you isn't a regular occurrence yeah. at all, like... You know, your direct interaction could be something like as simple as the lad in the, car, in the pub from Cork the other night. Just asking who you were. Yeah. Didn't even ask what happened, just yeah, said... Yeah, he, he knows no... Just, he's no meaning to it. Or, how are you? Who are you? Like, do you know, what are you doing in San Francisco? Yeah. But he doesn't realise that your brain's going at a million miles an hour. Your brain has gone, you know, 10 steps down the road to all the permutations of how he could or should know who you are, do you know? So, like, I think it's certainly something that, you know, like, I think my brain has become far more active and maybe not always in the most productive way for me in the sense that I'm, it's constant. Like I know your brain is always on, yeah. but it's co- I'm constantly oh. on. Like I'm like I find it hard to sleep for more than three four hours at a time. Like I, like that's not to say that I won't sleep mm-hmm. or sleep in. Like I sleep I can sleep in grand, but I won't sleep for more than three hours at a time. You know I'll wake up and I'll have to get back to sleep. You know and like I kind of feel constantly tired and stuff from that. Then you know because I'm constantly I'm just wake up and my mind is in a million places, and it's kind of like trying to calm that and go back to sleep and that. So like. You know, when your mind is constantly going at that, you don't even need an interaction for something to click yeah. and set you off, you know. And and that is certainly something that I'm still kind of constantly dealing with. But like you said, you know, to come back to that topic of resilience, like it's something that I've gotten that slight bit better at kicking down the road, you know, mm-hmm. kicking that can down the road and saying, look, you give it a half an hour, you might be okay. And sometimes being okay, but sometimes not, you know. So I suppose that's that constant struggle with resilience you know on that topic of resilience is what 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 are the bits that and if, if it's lying awake at night with your brain is your brain is buzzing or fizzing what is your what is the bits that work for you have you got little things that can that can help park that or halt that slide sometimes it is just to get out of the situation i'm in can make a huge difference um sometimes it can be something as simple as going to the toilet yeah. 
just going to the toilet. Actually, just having a minute or two yourself. Yeah, going to the toilet. Um, whether that's at a match, whether it's on a night out, whether it's inside in the sitting room. There's something, there's something oddly weird about the tranquility of a toilet, isn't the it? Toilet. Yeah, well, look, we used to call the third floor in Mary Eye the throne. Yeah. It's where you used to go for your yeah. thinking time. You'd go spend a half an hour up on the third floor toilet in the Tara building. You know, and just be alone with your thoughts, one of the boys used to say. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, because I actually, I know, there's two really, I have two really clear moments in my life of where I've had to just be in a toilet because I've needed to get away from whatever. And one was in work, and I remember I was in, my mood was really low. I was going through a really tough time. And uh, actually, but it's just funny, you just remind me of there, like, I literally went into the toilet, closed the door, and I sat there for 10 minutes with headphones on. I suppose it's probably because it's the one place that you're supposed to be alone. Yeah. Do you know, I suppose like you're, if you're dealing with feelings of loneliness, sometimes mm. the worst place to be is surrounded by people. Mm. Like I've, I've often been in a pub and felt surrounded by people and felt completely alone. Like um, I've often been at a match surrounded by people and felt completely alone. When you're in the toilet, you are completely alone, but you're supposed to be alone. Yeah, so it almost kind of rebalances. Okay it almost rebalances the scale that, okay, I'm alone. I should be alone. I'm in yeah. the jacks. It's kind of, it almost like, it's like hitting a reset button on your phone or something, you know, say, Okay, yeah. I'm alone, but I'm somewhere where I should be alone. Yeah. Because I think that lonely, like loneliness doesn't come from being alone or like that. Loneliness comes from being, loneliness comes from feeling alone in a place where you shouldn't feel alone. I think, well, for me, anyway, that, that'd be yeah, my I've understanding never of it. That way, but that's it makes, my understanding yeah, of it. Like, that's the most acute sense. loneliness is, yeah. the most acute loneliness is where you're kind of like, I feel completely alone why do I feel completely alone? There's no right to feel completely alone here. But like, if you can almost, like the toilet will say, you redress it. Like, you know, you say, right, okay, I'm alone. I should be alone. And maybe when I go back out into the crowd of people, I feel like I'm in a crowd of people. Mm. So look, again, it's just, it's one thing that I do. It, I'm glad someone else has no, done it. That's really I'm glad someone yeah, else has done it now and yeah, I don't feel like I'm a complete clown. I suppose looking conscious of time here as well and one or two questions I have left, but one of the ones I was just going to ask you is sort of, Look, you're obviously out here for the summer and I'm sure you're going to try and enjoy it to the best of your ability. Have you got any particular plans for this summer out here or have you, is there anything on your mind? Or um, I'm planning on going to Lake Tahoe for the 4th of yeah, July. It's class. Um, yeah, one of the lads is coming over from, from home and myself and two of the boys I'm living with and a few more, we're going to head up there. Um, girlfriend's coming out for a few weeks so we'll Great. probably try and hit some spots on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, I think with the lads as well, there, there's been talk of going to Las Vegas so I'm not sure... <laughs> your man's grinning over at me here now, so, so yeah that might happen somewhere yeah. along the way um, should like, I mean look you could come here you come to America 50 or 60 times and you still wouldn't do everything that you should do it strikes me a little bit as um, you found it a bit easier to live in the now would that be fair to say and that if you're enjoying something enjoy it and if you're not you can just park it yeah like I can I can, I can certainly do it a lot better now or even something you know as simple as I can enjoy the now and postpone the kind of you know, the issues will say, like, it's not that they're going to go away, like, they're going to come at some point, but, like, you know... But a certain control over certain, Like we said, you know, yeah. like, when it comes to dealing with, with, you would say, those interactions and, you know, mm -hmm. that resilience side of it is having that small faction of control over, you know, okay, I'm going to enjoy this for what it is. You know, I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. And I'll, next week, I can think about how it could have been better. And the week after, I can think about how great it was again. But while I'm in it, I'm not going to fuck it up for myself by thinking about how it can be better while I'm in it. Or at the very least, I'm going to try my best to park that and enjoy it 
so that if down the line a day comes that I'm more at peace with things and I'm constantly getting more at peace with things and if a day down the line comes that I'm more at peace with things I'm not going to look back and say you sulked for the night when you were down at the Euros in Leon. I'm going to be able to say you had a good night you felt miserable the following day but you had a good night the night before Ireland played or you had a good day at the Ireland-France game do you know that's kind of the way we'll say so yeah maybe that, that is I suppose what you'd call living in that now wouldn't it I think that's just the uh, that's the perfect note to end on um, I obviously just want I want to thank you just for I know we've been we've been chatting away for the guts of an hour and a bit so um, just for the honesty and I said the, the podcast is called, called Real Talks I was going to say they're called so, Real Talks uh, aren't they that's just I really enjoyed that conversation and just thank you for the honesty the authenticity stuff that we talked about um, I'll turn this recorder off when we finish up I'll be able to give you a few tips for, for Vegas and San Diego and the likes of that but honestly just, as a, just before I finish up just enjoy the rest of the summer it's a great place to be in and we'll talk to you down the line yeah, as well but just yeah. again just 100% hand on heart thanks million for that I uh, no really appreciate it no bother so that's it for this week and I hope you've been able to take as many valuable life lessons out of this conversation with Jamie Wall as I did I have to say he's just a truly fascinating character I promised at the start that I had an important update, so I'm delighted to say that we'll be kicking off a GA Legend series of the Real Talks podcast in the coming weeks. I'm not going to drop any names just yet, but all I will say is you can expect to hear from plenty All-Ireland champions and some extremely interesting characters. Follow me on Twitter at AOMTheCat to get all the latest updates, and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Real Talks. You can also check out our website at realtalks.ie. And finally, thanks again to our sponsor, Kelly Bradshaw Dalton, who for over 20 years have been successfully selling, renting and managing property in the greater Dublin area. Go to kbd.ie for all your property needs. My name is Alan O'Mara and you've been listening to episode 10 of the Real Talks podcast.